Ronald. Ronald, ready? She's like, my head's wet. Oh, she's so wet. (laughs) All the dogs are wet. I can't believe you, like, went out there when it was raining. Oh, my shoes are soaked. I'm sorry. Welcome to spring in Colorado where it rains. Or snows. It might snow later tonight because it's cold enough. Great. I love it. Uh, Welcome to Who Knew. Welcome. How are you? How was your week? How are you? My week was fine. Sick. Nothing exciting. The week off. It was awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of, like, seeing friends I hadn't seen because I feel like I don't have any spare time to hang out, so. It's really hard on nights to, like, coordinate stuff. Yeah. Because we always end up just sleeping in too much. Yeah, and then everyone's like, I don't want to hang out, like, that late. It's like, like well, we're good getting what you dinner, get. but it's like, well, I'm not waking up early because I, like, I work. Yeah. <laughs> because it's work. It's like, the, the thing is, it's like asking someone who normally gets up at like 8 a.m. to get up at like 3. 3 a.m. to hang out. Yeah. And you wouldn't do that. No. So. No, I wouldn't. So. Anyways. Cool. 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 How was your week? It was busy. Good. I worked a couple days, and then I had army a couple days, and then I had my top surgery consult, which went really, really well. That's exciting. And then we've had a couple days off. It's been nice. Yeah. You're lounging. Yeah. So I made a pregnancy pillow for my top surgery. (laughs) Well, I made two. I made one, and it uh, turned out too skinny because I forgot that, like... When you want it to be six inches, you have to add, like, a little bit on the sides for the seam and for the fact that it's curved. I didn't do that, so it turned into this, like, worm. <laughs> Which isn't bad. Or, like, I thought it was comfortable. Whatever. Yeah, so Sammy used that one, and she slept like a champ last night. And then I made a brand new one today, and it's badass, and I am lounging in it. Yes, you are. I'm really excited, so. Yeah, it's been a good week. Yep. Gonna... Cut the boobs off. I, what's a good way to say that? <laughs> what did you say? Yeet the teeth. Yeet the teeth. Tetus deletus is happening on uh, June 2nd. Whoop. And we have a big series planned for that month because I'm going to be home. Huge series. All the time. <laughs> Literally a huge series that is going to ha- involve so much research. Super stoked. Yeah? Yeah, I can't wait. I'm really excited. Yay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I got. Cool. Should we just get right into it? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Um, You got your drink? I do have my drink. Our... I might be a little bit... Clinky? I see. Do you want me to need it every time I do this? No. Okay. I'll just stop talking. So, we're both talking about killer spouses. Slash girlfriends. Slash girlfriends. Sorry. Killer Um, relationships. Killer relationships. In a bad uh, way. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah. Bad relationships. I'm talking about the murder of David Castor, as well as maybe two others. I've never heard of this. It's crazy. And I don't know how, because it actually like got like huge attention. Don't even talk. You don't know about mine, and okay. mine is literally, like, gigantic. So, I unfortunately, there wasn't a whole lot about the victims, except for, like, what I found, which makes me a little sad. But there was, like, a whole bunch about, like, the murderer. And I'm of like, I don't, don't want to delve in into, like, how much they thought that she was such a good person. And how could she do this? It's like she did it. <laughs> so. She, 
How good of a person was she? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I it's like you. Ted Bundy. Like, they know how to put on yeah. a good face and have that personable personality, but... Totally. Anyways, so David was the owner of an air conditioning and repair slash heating company. I saw both repair and heating company, so mm. not sure which one it was. And um, in 2001, he hired a woman named Stacy Wallace to be his administrator... They apparently liked each other, and in 2003, they got married. They lived in Syracuse, New York, and uh, this was both their both of their second ma- marriages. And Stacy had two daughters from her last marriage, and I believe David had one son from his last marriage. Cool. Ashley and Bree were Stacy's daughters, who were teenagers at the time. And David, I don't know how old he was. Sorry, David's son's name is David Jr., so I have no idea how old he was, but he wasn't, like, living with them. So okay. he's not as involved in this like, story no. yet. Yeah. So surprisingly, since they were teenagers, Ashley and Brie actually got along with their stepdad, which I feel like is not a very common thing for, like, stepchildren, especially at that age, you know? hmm So apparently, altogether, they were a happy family. David was very well-liked, and he was an outdoorsy kind of guy. But there were some reports of turmoil in the relationship because of the way David spent his money. Apparently, Stacy didn't approve of how he spent his money. And a few months before August 2005, David's father ended up dying, and it was reported that he was in, like, a depression over the loss of his father. Mm-hmm. So, with that in the back of your mind... August 22nd, 2005, around 2 p.m., Stacy called 911. She was saying that David had locked himself into their bedroom for the whole day because they had had an argument and she was now concerned. So, a deputy with the Onondaga County Sheriff's Office responded and went inside the home. When he got no answer at the bedroom door, he ended up kicking it in with Stacy's permission. She's there with him. And he found David laying in bed that was covered in vomit. Oh. And uh, there was a container of antifreeze in the room, as well oh. as a half-empty glass of a bright green liquid and other glasses with drinks in them, such as alcohol. I believe it was like bourbon and another... A uh, glass that was full of cranberry juice. Mm. Stacy's reaction to finding the body was quite memorable. She apparently said, quote, he's not dead, he's not dead, he's not dead, end quote. <laughs> Most interestingly to the deputy, there was no suicide note in the room. And I get it, like, suicide notes aren't always part of the deal when people kill themselves, but it's just, like, odd because it's fairly common. You know what I mean? Can't say I've ever seen a suicide note. Well, it's fairly common, according to mainstream media. (laughs) So, officers do their thing. They take over the scene, and the coroner takes the body away. But at the moment, it looked like suicide by antifreeze poisoning. Man, what a shitty way to do it. I know, right? God, that would hurt. Yeah, and so that actually was confirmed by the medical examiner that he had died from ingesting antifreeze. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've said antifreeze, like, six different ways. Antifreeze, antifreeze, antifreeze. Okay. Is it anti or anti? I just say antifreeze. Antifreeze. La 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 la. So officers continue to search the crime scene and they take evidence such as the glass that was next to David's body as well as a turkey baster that apparently looked very suspicious. And it was in the trash can of the house. After that turkey baster was tested, it became quite interesting because it had David's DNA at the end of it and Stacy's fingerprints on the balloon part. And had evidence that antifreeze was once in it. Hmm. 
Also, I know, also the glass that had the green liquid in it had Stacey's fingerprints on it. Nobody else's. Very sus. So Hmm. if David was drinking it to kill himself, you'd think. Yeah, that. Anyways, so the turkey baster and the glass suggested that maybe she was forcing something down David's throat. Sure. Such as the antifreeze. So this made detectives raise their eyebrows. Unfortunately, it wasn't really enough to do a whole lot with. David's funeral was three days later on August 25th, and apparently when detectives either went to the funeral or visited the gravesite, they found that his headstone was right next to another headstone, who was Stacy's first husband. His name was Michael Wallace, and he died of January of 2000. Did she arrange the whole thing? She wanted them to be right next to each other. Not weird. No. So, this made detectives really raise their eyebrows. Yeah. So, they looked into Michael a little bit more, and they found that Michael and Stacey met in 1985. I like the song. Anyways, and she <laughs> was only 17, but apparently they were, like, really close and, like, best friends and all that. So, then they had Ashley and Bree, and, again, there was turmoil in this marriage, as you can guess. Apparently, Stacey would get jealous about how close... Michael was to Brie, and she would get back at Michael by being, like, really close with Ashley. Mm. So, it was just really weird. And I don't care how much you want to get back at somebody, you just don't put your children in the middle of it. Like... Yeah. No. She's obviously not being genuine about that. Right. And there were also rumors that there were affairs that were happening, as well as money issues, which seems to be a thing for Stacy's relationships. Mm. And around December of 1999, Michael started to report that he was feeling sick. And family members remember him looking sick. They said he was, like, swollen, he was very unbalanced, and he was, like, coughing. Like, just very not good. Yeah. Yeah. And detectives learned that when Michael had first gone to the doctor about how he was feeling, he described the feeling as being drunk, but not having drunk any alcohol. So, like... That'd be upsetting. Yeah, and this didn't go away even after the holidays. And just like I said, unfortunately, Michael ended up dying January of 2000 before he could take his family's advice and, like, actually follow up with a doctor and, like, do some blood work and stuff like that. Right. So, like, the original examination of Michael's death was presumed to be a heart attack. Okay. So, Michael's sister wanted, like, a f- thorough, like, autopsy. Right. To Which really see what was going on. if it wasn't suspicious. Right. right. Yeah. So, they just, whatever. So but they did it at their request instead of it. Stacy denied the request for the autopsy. She said that he died of a heart attack and that's all that she needed. Like, essentially, like, that's the closure she needs. She doesn't need anything else. So because she's the wife, she has to say so over whether there's an autopsy or not. (laughs) But with all of this information, which really isn't a lot, officers changed the investigation around David's death from suicide to a homicide case. But they still needed more evidence, and right now they were really just going off of a gut feeling, since the symptoms that Michael was having were common with someone who had antifreeze poisoning. Mm-hmm. So, that's just like how David died. Coincidence? Nope. It's an MO. Right. So, the next best step was to exhume the body to see if that is, in fact, how he died, because antifreeze will leave crystals in your body for, like, ever, I guess. Mm -hmm. And this exhumation was done on September of 2007, but, like, super down low, because they didn't want Stacey to know what they were doing. Right. 
So now they're just trying to get more concrete evidence to arrest Stacy so they could possibly catch something incriminating. They also let people in Stacy's circle know about the exhumation. I was just only thinking, like, maybe they went to people that were, like, doubting her or, like, more on, like, David's side of the thing Mm -hmm. to try to be like, can you, like, try to get any information from her low-key, like, anything to help our case? You know, shit like that. Mm -hmm. So two days after... The body was exhumed. They brought Stacy back for questioning where they relentlessly asked questions about David's death. Basically, they just wanted her to say something incriminating so they could arrest her mm-hmm. or confess. To which, Stacy does say some shit. Are you ready for this? Yeah. She says, quote, I poured him the antifree, I mean cranberry juice, end quote. And that is in the transcripts. It is literally antifree. Just because she didn't say the last two words or two letters. Um, So they kept pressing on. They're like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And then they showed her the turkey baster and she terminated the interview (laughs) and left. Which. Suspicious. Yeah, super suspicious. So about a week after they exhumed Michael's body, this whole thing kind of gets turned upside down and not in a Fresh Prince kind of way. Ashley was away for school and began getting affected by the information that her mom possibly killed her father and stepfather. Fair. Like, the rumors are going around. Like, so much so that at her college campus, people are going up to her and questioning her about the death of her father. Man, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So she calls her mom. She's upset. Remember, this is, like, her... hey, what the fuck? Yeah, she's... No, like, her mom's her best friend because they became best friends because her mom was jealous that he... That Michael was closer with Brie. So, mom's... Ashley's best friend, so she's like, oh, like, blah, 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 and mom's like, we'll come home. I mean, Stacy's like, come home. We'll hang out. So, Ashley goes home the next day, and she recalls drinking a nasty drink. I've heard this story. Which we later find out was vodka with orange juice and Sprite, which sounds delicious. <laughs> Stacy then is making another 911 call. I, I don't think it was the same day. I think it was the next day. Anyways, uh, she says, quote, um, my daughter, I believe, has taken some pills, end quote. Suspicious. Super suspicious. People don't usually say, um. Um, so officers get on scene and they see Ashley unconscious next to some alcohol and pills. This concoction was a mixture of painkillers and the enticing beverage, you know, I told you all about. This time, a suicide note is in the room with Ashley and it has in it not only her saying she's killing herself, but a confession that she killed her father, Michael, and her stepfather, David. Mm, I remember this. Do you? Yeah. Um, in this type wild. suicide note, the word anti-free is in it about four times. And they believed that it was a misspelling. But maybe whoever wrote it thought the anti-freeze was actually called anti-free. I don't know why you would keep misspelling it. If that's, that's what you thought yeah. it was. Unless that's what you thought it was called. But whatever. I feel like if you're killing all your family members with it, you see the the label on the bottom. Right. I don't know. I don't know. So, thankfully, officers were able to get to Ashley and get her to the hospital. Literally, there was reports that said that she was, like, five seconds away from death. Good lord. And they learned that Stacy hadn't called for help until 17 hours after Ashley was basically overdosing. She literally, like, was about to die. Anyways. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So, once detectives are, they're, they're like, sitting at the hospital waiting for her to wake up, and so she finally does, and so they start questioning her. They're like, hey, what about this note that you made? And she's like, 
what note? And they're like, the note that you left. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no note. So, so they show her and she's like, I didn't write this. You need to talk to my mom. And they're like, what? <laughs> so, um. Yeah, the one you've been questioning. That's who you need to talk to. Yeah. So. The one who said anti-free. <laughs> In an interview. I know. I know. So officers are back at the house and they find a computer in the home that had Ashley's confession slash suicide note on the computer, which was typed and printed when Ashley was at school. And not only that, but they found several drafts of this note on the computer. She's not good at this. No. <laughs> no. Um, so Stacy was arrested at the hospital and charged for the murder of David and the attempted murder of Ashley, as well as forging David's will, which we'll talk about in a second. Holy shit. Yeah. So during all of this investigation and the trial about Stacy killing her husbands and attempting to kill her daughter, she was deemed the nickname of the Black Widow, Good. which is probably why... People may or may not know this. So most of the trial was spent on poking holes in the prosecution's story by trying to prove that at the time when her father, Michael, died, Ashley was 11 years old. And they were trying to make it to where she seemed like a killer who was capable of killing her father yeah. at 11 years old and then, again, killing her stepfather years later. Yeah. No. That didn't work. So... On February 5th, 2009, the jury deliberated for three days and found Stacy guilty of all charges. And on March 5th, she was sentenced to 51 years to life without the possibility of parole. I think the sentencing was a little odd because she was charged and found guilty on second degree murder for David. And I would have thought that it would have classified or fell under the terms for first degree murder because it definitely seems premeditated. It depends on the state. Mm. True, true, true. But I would agree. That's fine. Um, anyways, at her sentencing, uh, the district attorney, Christine Garvey, had stated that Stacy partied in her backyard with friends like nothing was happening while Ashley was in her room dying because of the drugs that she had been given. Wow. She also said, quote, human life is sacred. Stacy Castor places no value in human life, not even her own flesh and blood. To Stacy Castor, human beings are disposable, end quote. Um, because of the sentencing, prosecutors and authorities thought that it was best not to pursue charges in the murder of Michael, just because at the time there was no evidence collected from his from where, when he had died. All they had was his body as evidence, and it's kind of circumstantial to kind of place her being the person who does that, I guess. Can you imagine thinking that of people, like, you, that you can just... Kill people? Kill them? Instead yes. of divorcing them? Yeah, literally, That's, Chris Watts. Yeah, literally. So then... Stacy has tried to get new trials, blah, 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 but they've all been denied. Then in 2010, Michael Wallace's family brought to light that maybe Stacy had killed her own father. Stace, wow. Yeah, he had been in the hospital for a, quote, lung ailment, when after a visit from Stacy, he was later found dead. According to Michael's brother-in-law, John Corbett, he had walked into the hospital to visit or I'm sorry, she, Stacy, had walked to the hospital to visit her dad, and with her, she had an open can of soda. But, unfortunately, her father was cremated, so that really wasn't going to go anywhere. They couldn't exhume the body to look for evidence of anything. So, there's just a slight possibility that she killed her father as well. I bet. Yeah, I know, right? 
at this point, will we be surprised? Right. Um, Literally. So, December 19th, 2011, David's son, as we talked about before, David Jr., and his mother, David's first wife named Janice, sued Stacy for David's estate along with punitive damages. Good. Yeah, Stacy had apparently altered David's will, which gave her $300,000 worth of estate instead of his son, which is what his will had originally said. Yeah. What a, what a bitch. Yep. So this is backed by Stacey asking two of her friends to sign off on the will changes as witnesses, knowing that what she was doing was illegal. Did they get charged? Here's the thing. They got immunity in exchange for their testimony against Stacy. I see that. That's fair. Yeah. But David Jr. and Janice won the suit and got $127,118.65 in compensation damages, basically, along with $250,000 in punitive damages. Stacy, unfortunately, died in 2016 of a heart attack and coincidentally at the same age that David was when he had died. She was 48. He was, oh, I'm sorry, she was only seven years into her sentence and there is a Lifetime movie about her called Poisoned Love, the Stacy Caster story, as well as other true crime documentaries such as 2020, blah, 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 blah. You know. Wow. That's all I've got. Holy shit. Yeah. I've heard that before. That grosses me out. It makes me think of, um, anytime, like, I hear, like, a poisoning story, that, like, to me, that is the worst fucking mm-hmm. way, um, to be killed by someone. Also, I forgot to put this in my notes, but there was a mention that, like, David, since I said he was an outdoorsy dude, he mm-hmm. was an avid hunter, he had a gun, like, a fucking rifle under Should his bed. Yeah. So they were, like... David, being Why a man, he have just shot and being himself? a marksman, it, with a bed, like a gun under his bed, right yeah. where he died, he would have shot himself. He would not have drank antifreeze. No, absolutely not. The thing with antifreeze is it's so, fu- like, poisoning in general is so slow when you do it with something like that that's not like a whole bottle of pills or a bunch of, uh, you know what I mean? Like, doing antifreeze, you have to drink and drink and drink and drink and then, oh my god. It makes me think of that scene in uh, The Sixth Sense, where the mom has Munchausen's and she's poisoning the daughter and making her sick. Literally just watched this movie. Yeah, I don't, that's not striking my memory. No? Mm-mm. Where the little boy goes to her wake and, like, runs into her and he shows her, um, or she shows him where the VHS tape is, where she was recording uh, her mom doing that to yeah, her. Yeah, 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 yeah. Freaks me out. What a good story. Here's a good story. I'm ready for yours. Okay, so this is the story of Jody Arias and the murder of Travis Alexander. Mm-hmm. It's bananas. Okay. Get fucking ready. So, Travis Alexander, first and foremost, I always like to start with like the victims because they tend to get lost and he really got just smeared in this whole thing. So, um, he was born on July 28th in 1977 in Riverside, California. At the time of his death, he was 30. After his dad died, he and his siblings were taken in by their paternal grandmother, who eventually introduced them to like Mormonism, and they all got baptized. And he uh, ended up being a quote-unquote devout Mormon but consistently slept with a lot of women, which is, like, very... Not Mormon. Right. They're very, like, save it for your wife or husband. Yeah. And 
he was a salesman for the multi-level marketing company Prepaid Legal Services and also worked as a motivational speaker. Does the MLM kill him? No. Oh, that's disappointing. Jody Arias does. Okay. <laughs> uh, but they met at a, like, conference for this company, so kind of. Yeah. Sort of. Uh, the only info I have on her and her, like, upbringing is that she was born on July 9th in 1980 in Salinas, California. That's more than I had for my people, and that so. Is all. <laughs> so. So Jody Arias met Travis Alexander in September of 2006 at a convention for that MLM. Uh, in Las Vegas. The two became friends pretty much right away and in November of that same year. She ended up getting baptized into the Mormon faith. For him? Yeah. Ew. Because he wouldn't date her because she wasn't Mormon. But he's gonna sleep with other bitches. Right. So he, <laughs> so she gets baptized and becomes a Mormon. He's like, shit, I didn't think you were gonna do that. What do I do now? Right. So... Several months later, the two started dating, but they had broken up in the summer of 2007, and he started dating other women. Around that same time, he told a bunch of friends that he thought that she was, like, stalking him because she was pissed that they broke up and that he was dating other women. But they still continued to talk. They had kind of a friendship, kind of not, like, they had, like, sort of a friendship where it was, like, they would talk and talk and talk. He he could never put up that boundary to be like, okay, I don't want to talk to you anymore. We're not dating we're done. Right, like this is it. He would never say no. So he moved to Arizona and then she ended up moving to California. They continued talking. And then in June of 2008, Travis scheduled a trip to Cancun, but he missed an important conference call on the night of June 4th with his MLM, which was very, very unlike him. He was like, he tended to lead these conference calls and he just straight up missed it. And that was weird. So on June 9th, having been able to unreach him, people from prepaid legal services, his MLM, went to his house to check up on him. His roommates thought that he was out of town. They were like, I don't know. He's, Travis isn't here. They're like, no, nah, let's go check. So they searched around the house and they found a spare key to his the master bedroom of the house, which is the one that he was in. And they go into his bedroom. Immediately, they noticed huge pools of blood in the hallway leading to the master bathroom where his body was discovered in the shower. So, Travis Alexander's throat had been cut, he had been shot in the head, and then he had been stabbed over 20 times. What the fuck? Uh, there have been, like, conflicting reports over the number of stab wounds, with some reports saying 29, others saying 27, and after the verdict at the very end of this, the medical examiner basically testified that um, he had over 20 and that his jugular vein, common carotid artery, and windpipe had been slashed. So she went deep. Damn. Yeah. His hands also had defensive wounds. The medical examiner, examiner further testified that he might have been dead at the time that the gunshot was inflicted, which to me is kind of a good thing. I don't know. Yeah. And it was automatically ruled a homicide once police were called. So. Yeah. Roommates call 911, obviously, um, and they mentioned on that call his ex-girlfriend, Jody Arias, who he had mentioned to them, as we said before, he was worried that she was stalking him and, like, hacking into his Facebook account, slashing his tires, doing all these kinds of behaviors that would indicate stalking. So then, if we go back, we're going to go back to what was going on in Jody's life, like, the 
a week prior. So on May 28th in 2008, which was like right at a little over a week before Travis died, burglary happened at Jody Arius's grandparents' house with whom she was living with in, it's weird, I think it's pronounced Eureka, California, but it's not spelled that way. It's spelled Y-R-E-K-A. I'm pretty sure it's Eureka. It's Eureka, right? I've heard that. But it's spelled weird. I don't know. I don't know either. So this burg happened, and a twenty-five caliber gun and other objects were taken. That gun was never recovered. But that ends up being the same caliber of bullet that that killed Travis Alexander, but no gun was ever found. But it was just this weird coincidence that like a week and a half before uh, this quote-unquote burg happened... Was she the one that reported it? No, I think the grandparents did. They didn't suspect that she might have taken it? So they were it, just It was like... never brought up until the trial, and then we'll talk about that in a minute. So that happened on May 28th. Meanwhile, Jody decided to take a trip from California to Arizona uh, just days before the murder happened. Several days before taking the trip, she repeatedly contacted her ex-boyfriend, Daryl Brewer, asking to borrow two five-gallon gas cans for a trip to Arizona, which was a little bit weird. Why would you not just stop? You can go buy your own. Well, you can go buy your own, uh, but that would leave a paper trail. Not if you're cash. going to buy all that stuff. I agree with that. She borrowed these cans, and they were never returned to him. Receipts presented at trial also showed that she bought a third five-gallon gas can sunblock and face wash at a gas station in Pasadena. And then she purchased, this is so weird to me, 8.3 gallons of gas with her debit card. And then four minutes later, bought nine and a half gallons of gas with cash. I guarantee you what happened is that she was, like, halfway through that, and she was like, like, oh oh my god, they can track this. Bet. And then was like, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? Yeah, Go to an ATM, pull out some cash. But then on June 6th, she uses her MasterCard again three times at a gas station in Salt Lake, which is weird. Never mind. I don't know. Maybe she's just... Maybe she didn't have (laughs) enough money on her debit card. Right. And then she did it again at a 7-Eleven in Sparks, Nevada. So, I don't know. I don't know. So then June 2nd, 2008, she rented a white Ford Focus in Redding, California, which is about 100 miles south of her house. She told the budget rent-a-car staff that she would only be driving the car locally, but then it was returned on June 7th, and it had been driven almost 2,800 miles. Oh. It's also missing all of its floor mats, and there were what looked like Kool-Aid stains on the front and rear seats. It's not Kool-Aid, folks. Bet. (laughs) The problem was budget, cleaned the car, detailed it, did everything before police were able to get a hold of it because they didn't find his body till the 8th. (sighs) So. That sucks. Like I said, a spent twenty-five caliber round was located near one of the sinks in the master bathroom. She didn't pick that up. That's stupid if you ask me. And his damaged digital camera was found in the downstairs washing machine. (laughs) It was brand new. Um, It was his. And Detective Flores, who was one of the main detectives on the case, via phone interview with Jody, asked her if she knew any reason why somebody would, one, kill him, or and two, take that camera and put it in the washing machine? That's yeah. really weird, right? Images on the camera had been deleted, but Mesa police were able to recover them. Could because they... we can do that. Heck yeah. And we definitely could ten plus years ago. You're being sarcastic? 
No, we definitely could. And oh, we could okay. do like ten times more than that now. I just think it's funny when people delete stuff and think that it's gone forever it's Mm -hmm. like never gone forever Mm -hmm. the recovered images included jody and travis both in sexually suggestive poses at approximately 1 40 p.m on june 4th of 2008 the last photo of travis alive and in the shower was taken at 5 29 p.m on june 4th mind you they found him on june 8th so he'd been in there for four days and his roommates were in the house just saying blows my mind so they didn't like that they didn't smell anything? Yeah. Right? They That's didn't the smell anything. I didn't think anything was suspicious. But they, like, walked down there with their his fucking employer, and, and they didn't. see blood, and they're like, oh. <laughs> you would for sure smell that, but whatever. Oh Maybe it was a big house, and they were, like, in the basement. He was, like, on the third floor. That, I That's the only thing that makes sense to me. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, that last photo of him alive was taken at 529 on june 4th and then moments later images appear of an individual believed to be travis profusely bleeding on the floor she took pictures of him afterwards accidental pictures that she didn't realize she took alongside the images of his body were more accidental photos of jody's foot which was corroborated with her foot seen in the earlier full body butt-ass naked suggestive photos does she have like tattoos or something on her feet i we can look at them We'll look at him later. I'm going to look at him now. <laughs> okay. Um, a bloody palm print was located in the bathroom of the hallway, which DNA revealed to be a mix of Jody's and Travis's DNA both. And this was brought to her attention in the multiple interviews that happened with her because she was immediately a suspect. Right. Um, and she continued to insist that she had last seen him in April, despite being presented with DNA and photographic evidence by detectives she's like that's not that can't be my foot and they're like that's your whole entire body that day like we see you oh my god and she's like i don't i saw him in april and she's just this absolute compulsive liar and that becomes even more apparent (laughs) ryan burns and others who met arias in utah after the killing indicated she had bandages on her hands and she wore long sleeves on the days when it was very hot which is very unusual she told several different stories about how she received the cuts on her hands, because that was asked in the interviews with detectives. Ryan was told that they were from an injury while working at, quote, Margaritaville restaurant. And at the trial, it was revealed by, I don't know, S-I-S-K-I-Y-O-U. Totally. That Siskiyou? Okay. At the trial, it was revealed by Siskiyou County, California authorities that no such restaurant exists nor ever existed in the area. So she lied to this dude about where she worked. At the time of the killing, she actually worked at Casa Ramos in Eureka. On June 5th of 2008, West Jordan, Utah, police officer Michael Galetti pulled Arias over while she was in the rented vehicle driving to a meeting with Ryan Burns, the dude who she talked to, who she said she got those cuts from, at the non-existent restaurant. The front license plate of her car was missing. The rear license plate was upside down. What? But the cop didn't think that was that weird, and he just, like, let her go, but she had literally just killed Travis. It was, I don't know. It was just a weird detail that I put in there, because I thought it was weird. Hmm. Um, so... Jody ended up being indicted by a grand jury on first-degree murder charge on July 9th of 2008, uh, which was a little over a month after the murder happened, and she was arrested at her grandparents' house on July 15th 
of 2008. She was extradited to Arizona on September 5th, 2008, where she pled not guilty on September 11th. Jody gave three different accounts of her whereabouts for that day. She originally told police that she had not been in the home at the time of the of Travis's death. Then she changed it and said that she was there with him and that two intruders had broken into Travis's house and that they murdered him and attacked her. Oh my god. That's her second story. Third story was she killed Travis in self-defense and she was a victim of domestic violence. Okay. So. Oh my god. <laughs> this cut on his throat? Yeah, it's fucked. It's incredibly fucked. Um, after Travis's death, but before his body was discovered, Jody also continued to call him and left him several voicemails, which is totally Chris Watts-like. Yeah. It was later alleged that she had accessed his voicemail messages after his death to make it look like he had listened to him, which is weird. She said that he originally planned to visit her in May of 2008, but plans changed, and that's what she was upset about. Yeah. He was saying that, you know, kind of hinting that they might get back together, yada, yada, yada. That didn't happen. He ends up going on a date with somebody else, and she makes this trip out to see him. Yeah. And kill him. So, a big part of this case is the debacle that was the trial. Okay. So, first we'll start with jury selection. Trial commenced on December 10th of 2012. Everything happened in 2008, and she had to wait until 2012. For this trial. Mm-hmm. Jury selection happens in Maricopa County Superior Court. Trial commenced on December 10th of 2012 in Maricopa County. During jury selection on December 20th, her defense attorneys argued that the prosecution was systematically excluding women and African Americans, which wasn't true. Um, ended up being found by the judge that it wasn't true. So they are already starting shenanigans. Okay. So now we go to the guilt phase, which is where they determine if Jody was the one who did it. Right. So, opening arguments on January 2nd of 2013, Prosecutor Juan Martinez, who was a fucking badass, he was looking for the death penalty for her. Good. Very rare for that to happen. People don't like putting, like, pretty women to death. Yeah, I was looking at the picture of um, Travis before he was killed, and he's a good-looking dude, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So Jody was represented by appointed counsel, and they argued that Travis's death was a justifiable homicide committed in self-defense. So they weren't saying that she didn't do it. They were saying that she did it in self-defense. So they automatically admitted that she did it. So we started that way. She, almost immediately in the trial, the cuts that were on her hands came up. A man testified that Arias visited him in Utah on June 5th, and that's when uh, she told him that she cut her hands on broken glass while working at that restaurant that does not exist. Mm -hmm. And the detective ended up testifying that that restaurant did not exist. So automatically, her reliability is totally questioned. Right. Prosecution argued that since a twenty-five caliber round was found near Alexander Travis's body, and a week before, a gun of the same caliber went missing during a burg of the home where she lived with her grandparents. She had staged the burglary to get the gun that she ended up using to help kill Travis. She took the stand, which is, we both know how, like, rare that is. Like, yeah. you don't take the stand in your own trial, especially if it's a murder trial. 
not only did she just take, she took the stand, she testified for a total of 18 days, which is fucking wild. Um, it was considered unprecedented and just absurd. So we're going to talk about how wild this was. So the first day of her 18-day testimony, she told the jury that she was violently abused by her parents beginning when she was approximately seven year old, years old. There's no evidence of this. She then testified that she rented the car in Reading because the budget website gave her two options, one to the north and one to the south, and her brother lived in Reading. On the second day in, on the stand, she said that their sex life included oral sex and anal sex. She said that she didn't like the anal sex. It hurt. Which makes... Yeah. He considered oral sex and anal sex to be not real sex. Because it's not vaginal. Right. And so that's how he justified it, being like a devout Mormon. He's like, well, we can do this, and it's not legit, so we'll just keep doing this, and this is yeah. all we're going to do. They had vaginal sex a couple times, but it was very rare, according to her. She says that they eventually had vaginal sex less often. Phone sex tape was played for the jury, which you and I are going to watch a documentary after this, and it is... And listen to the sex tape? Totally. Ugh. So in this phone sex tape that was played for the jury and on TV for everybody, Travis said that he wanted to, quote, zip tie her to a tree while she was dressed as Little Red Riding Hood, which is weird. She (laughs) also testified that uh, Travis secretly found young boys and girls sexually attractive, and she tried to help him with these urges. She also testified that her relationship with Travis became increasingly physically and emotionally abusive, some of which caused Travis's sister to continuously roll her eyes and shake her head in disbelief, which is on camera. Um, Jody said that Travis shook her while saying, quote, I'm fucking sick of you, end quote, and began screaming at her, after which he, quote, body slamming on the floor at the foot of his bed and taunted her, saying, quote, don't act like that hurts, end quote. Uh, before he called her a bitch and kicked her in the ribs. So she's saying, she's giving these accounts of like very physically abusive things that happen in their relationship. Yeah. Afterwards, she said that uh, he went to kick me again and I put my hand out and she lifted up her left hand in the courtroom showing her ring finger was crooked. And what she did was this. She just like bent it a little bit. So then after this, the prosecution comes up oh, and Lord. has a photo. Of her, um, after this incident, she she gave a date for this incident that she said broke her finger to the point where it was all fucked up. And he has a photo of her with some friends that clearly shows her hand and her finger's totally fine. And this was after the incident that she... Alleges. So they just fucking come at every single thing that she says. And they're like, nope, that's not true. Nope, that can't be true. Fucking phenomenal. According to Jody, the dysfunction of their relationship reached its climax when she killed Travis in self-defense after he became enraged following a day of sex and a gun accident, forcing her to fight for her life. This was the third different account of how Travis's death happened, which both prosecutors and pretty much everybody in the courtroom felt severely damaged her credibility as a witness, a sentiment later echoed by jurors upon the completion of the guilt phase. Yeah. She addressed comments she made in a September 2008 television interview with 2020 that played earlier in the trial. So she had been 
the trial started in like December, right? So this yeah. was September prior to the trial. <laughs> she gave a 2020 interview. Oh my gosh. In the interview, she said, quote, no jury is going to convict me because I am innocent. You can mark my words on that. End quote. Discussing that statement during her testimony, Jody said, at the time, I had plans to commit suicide, so I was extremely confident that no jury would convict me because I didn't expect any of you to be here because I thought I was going to kill myself. Oh my god. At the end of the cross-examination of Jody, Juan Martinez, the prosecutor, replayed the video and prompted Jody to affirm that she had said during the interview that she would not be convicted because she was innocent, which is what she said verbatim. At the end of the guilt phase, the jury's foreman expressed an opinion common to both jury members and courtroom observers when he told ABC's Good Morning America that her testimony didn't do her any good. Quote, I think 18 days hurt her. I think she was not a good witness. No shit. <laughs> 18 days. <laughs> That's crazy. So then both sides bring in psychologists because the next, like, go-to is like, okay, we're going to say she's, like, insane or she has some kind of PTSD that, like, caused her to misremember all this shit and whatever, right? So Richard Samuels testified for the defense for almost six days, and he said that she was likely suffering from acute stress at the time of the killing, sending her body into a fight-or-flight mode to defend herself, which caused her brain to stop retaining memory. In response to a juror question asking whether the scenario could occur even if this was a premeditated murder, he said, is it possible? Yes. Is it probable? No. Samuels also diagnosed her with PTSD. And then the prosecutor, Juan Martinez, who again is a badass, attacked his credibility saying that he's like, okay, when did you last examine her? He was like, he gave the date and he said, okay. So in this interview, she said the first story of the three. Yeah. Right, the one saying that she wasn't even there, the one saying that there was intruders. I think it was the intruder one. Yeah. So he examined her at the time that she was on this, you know, road that two intruders came in and killed him and tried to hurt her. Right. He didn't examine her after that. So he's like, you're basing all these conclusions off of a lie. So he was, like, immediately discredited, whatever. Prosecution ended up bringing in their own psychologist who was like, nah, no, this is right. She didn't have PTSD. She probably did, honestly, but she definitely didn't have amnesia, um, and there was no evidence that he had ever abused her. She instead said that Jody likely suffered from borderline personality disorder and showed signs I, of yeah. immaturity and an unstable sense of identity, and also said that people who suffer from that have a, quote, Terrified feeling of being abandoned by others, which makes sense. If he was, like, leaving her and going and dating other people, this would be a extreme, but a reaction that fits in that, in those parameters. So. Yeah. So, in closing arguments on May 4th, so it's December to beginning of May, Jody's defense argued that the premeditation theory didn't make sense, and this is a quote from her lawyer. What happened in that moment in time? The relationship, the relationship of chaos, that ended in chaos as well. There's nothing about what happened on June 4th in that bathroom that looks planned. Couldn't it also be that after everything they went through in the relationship that she simply snapped? Ultimately, if Miss Arias is guilty of any crime at all, it is the crime of manslaughter and nothing more. You know what? 
kept saying that like manslaughter isn't stabbing somebody 27 times yeah 27 and cutting their throat like that and then shooting them after yeah no just saying i'm just saying yeah and prosecutor juan martinez went second with his closing arguments which was phenomenally done is a work of art if you ask me he described the extent and variety of alexander or travis's wounds and said that quote there's no evidence that he ever laid a hand on her ever nothing indicates that this is anything less than a slaughter and there was no way to appease the woman who just wouldn't leave him alone he then made the court sit in two minutes of silence which was the time that it would have taken for her to do all of this to kill him two minutes Mm -hmm. pretty quick that's super quick yeah whoa yeah during the whole trial one member of the jury was dismissed for misconduct defense team asked for a mistrial judge said nah another juror was excused for health reasons a third juror was dismissed after being arrested for a dui and then on may 8th after 15 hours of deliberation she was found guilty of first degree murder out of the 12 jurors five jurors found her guilty of first degree premeditated murder and seven jurors found her guilty of both first degree premeditated murder and felony murder which is uh, i guess an arizona thing i don't know as the guilty verdict was read she struggled to repress tears as his family smiled and hugged each other several people who had gathered outside the courtroom began celebrating by cheering and chanting it was a big deal so then uh they had to start the next phase of the trial which was Basically deciding if she des- deserved the death penalty. So yeah. the prosecution basically had to determine if the murder was, quote, cruel, heinous, or depraved, according to Arizona law, um, in order for them to figure out if she was eligible for it. That started on May 15th, and the only witness was the medical examiner who performed the autopsy. Basically, all of her attorneys repeatedly asked to step down from the case repeatedly yeah and they couldn't do it so they just gave like brief opening statements and closing arguments nothing in the middle because it's all about like what he would have felt how the murder would have gone like how much torture did he actually go through in those two minutes and their only argument was that he had so much adrenaline in him that he maybe didn't feel as much as you would think he felt that was it and this and also his throat got cut so he probably bled out fast jesus yep and then Juan Martinez again showed photos of the corpse in the crime scene, did the two-minute thing, and after less than three hours of consideration, the jury determined that Arias was eligible for the death penalty. So that was on the table. And then they go to the penalty phase, and again, that was not that long. The family members gave victim impact statements to basically just convince the jury that Arias's crime merited a death sentence. And then on May 21st, Jody was offered what's called allocution, which is where she gets to stand up. She's not under oath or anything like that. And just say her piece and say why she doesn't want to be on the pe- death penalty. Prior to this, after her, she was pronounced guilty, she made a TV interview again where she said she wanted the death penalty, that that would be a freedom compared to life. But then... <laughs> Go ahead. No, no, no. I think you're going to say what I wanted to say. So then, during her allocution, she acknowledged that her plea for life in the courtroom was a reversal of remarks that she made during this interview. Uh, She said, quote, Each time I said that, I meant it, but I lacked perspective. 
Until very recently, I could not imagine standing before you asking you for to give me life. She then changed her mind to avoid bringing more pain to members of her family who were in the courtroom. And then, like, at one point in this weird speech that she's making, she held up a white t-shirt with the word survivor written across it, telling jurors that she was going to sell clothing like this and donate all the proceeds to victims of domestic abuse. And also said that she would donate her hair to Locks of Love while in prison to, like, make up for... First of all, Jody, let me tell you, I saw your pictures. You dye your hair. You cannot die. You can't donate your hair because it's been dyed. First of she all. She did it three times during the trial. She donated her hair? Yeah. Apparently. You can't donate dyed hair. I don't know what to tell you. This is what my sources told me. Well, they probably took her hair and threw it in the trash. <laughs> yeah, they're we'll like, donate this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Second of all, Jody, you're a piece of shit. Yeah. That's it. Yep. You're like degrading those victims that actually have to go through this shit. Yep. And you're trying to make a profit on it. Yep. By selling shirts. Yep. Let's say survivor when all you are is a murderer. Yep. Okay. So, May 23rd of 2013 sentencing phase resulted in a hung jury, which prompted the judge to declare a mistrial for that phase. It was an 8-4 to vote in favor of death. After the mistrial was declared, basically... They had to do another one. So another trial? Not another trial, just another sentencing phase. Oh, thank so God. what they did is they brought same judge, same lawyers, different jury. They do the same thing. They don't have to determine if she's guilty or not, because they already did that. It's just literally a sentencing thing. They could have not done this, but like they could have just gone for life in prison, but the family was like, No, fuck that. We want to try for death again. They try again, same shit. Hung jury again. So at this point in Arizona, um, the prosecution only gets two attempts to get the pe- death penalty. And then if two attempts is doesn't work, you get hung jury on both of them. Then the only other option is life in prison. So the judge ends up uh, ultimately sentencing her to life in prison without parole. And that is the story of Jody Arias. She's, She's still alive? Fucking nuts. Yeah. Huh. She is. She's at like a women's prison right now. What a piece of shit. Isn't that wild? I saw her picture. I was looking at her picture. She looks super familiar. So I wonder if I have heard the story before and I just, it's not clicking for some reason. Because she looks very yeah. familiar. We should watch the, like, three-part series I watched on her last night. Mm-hmm. It's, it, like, me telling this story has nothing on, like, the amount of courtroom footage and the interviews and all the bullshit that she said. It's like, Wow. Like, you really believe all... Like, you have committed to these lies so hard that you straight up believe them. She's crazy. She's nuts. It's wild. They, like, did a very good job in the courtroom of trying to make her look personable, too. Yeah. They, like, made her... That's all they had, ...wear those cutesy little outfits and put glasses on her and gave her bangs. I know. She went from, like, blonde and whatever to, Bleach blonde hair to, like, very... Not, like, scandalous clothing, but, like... She was not afraid to show her body, and yeah. then she goes to the courtroom, and it's like very cardigans and yes, bangs. very layered <laughs> and brown hair and bangs. Yeah. Yep, and glasses. Isn't that funny how they do that? It is super funny. It's like with Menendez brothers, they put them in like polos, yeah, and fucking sweaters. What is it? I think it's um the staircase that we watched. Mm-hmm. 
Wasn't that where they were, like, talking about how he could, like, carry himself better to make him more personal or personable or how he could answer questions to make it a little bit more... Well, we were just watching that Grey's episode. Um, If you watch Grey's Anatomy, you'll remember the episode where Callie's in court and they tell her to wear pantyhose. They say, do you still have your wedding ring? Put that on. Jury's like, you know, married women with kids. Mm -hmm. Dude, they play that shit like a fiddle. There's some psychologist somewhere that's, like, just Bet. sitting there, like, telling people these things, and yeah, they totally. paid buttloads of money. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That could be you. I'm good. Okay. Just kind of sit here and do my current job. <laughs> Boring. Well, that's fun. Yeah. Did you like it? Was it I did crazy? like it. It was super crazy. Yeah. Super duper crazy. Super duper. I'm glad that we both, when we, when I told you about, like, how let's do, like, spouse soul murders. I'm glad that we both chose, like, women murders. <laughs> oh, my God. Right? Yeah. <laughs> because, like, it's hard to find. It's not hard to find, but it's just less common yeah. for women to be, A, a murderer, and B, like, so extreme. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, like, the way Travis died, and then I the re- way Stacey killed her two husbands. I read somewhere that. If you have, like, a poisoning that you think might be foul play to um, suspect a female over. Oh, yeah. Like, it's way, way more common for females to do that over, when like, you, violent crimes. When you told me about how she killed him, I was just it's like... It's surprising, isn't that's it? That's a lot. That is a lot. That's yeah. a lot of hate, and that's a lot of anger very, that is very being... unusual for females. Because it's, like, very messy cleanup. Yep. Totally. And, like, but as women, didn't. you'd think that we'd like to clean that up because that's our job, to clean things. Stop. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Good I'm really Lord. kidding. I hope everybody knows I'm kidding. Super it's kidding. not our job to clean anything. She's kidding enough that she's probably going to cut all of that. No, it's funny. Oh, it was a God. joke. Okay. <laughs> it was a joke. I was joking. Oh, Ronnie. She says, I'm trying to lay down. Thank she's you. Like, I'm the only one who uses this bed. So they have the dog bed in here now is replaced with a, like a, what would you even call that? A suspended bed? I don't know. It's something my brother gave me. It's like this PVC pipe frame and it's got this like mesh bed on top of it. It's like a, I don't know. There's no padding to it. Yeah. So like, the, I think the padding is like pretty, them like. Yeah. It's pretty comfy. Yeah. They like it. Ronnie's the only one that uses it in here though, which is Gawny weird. Bird, cat. I know. My I'm, favorite kitten. Oliver's just chilling. They got super high on nip. Catnip. Yep. Catnip. <laughs> <laughs> they had catnip today, and so they crashed. It's awesome. Everybody's quiet. I love it. <laughs> I know. We really didn't have many interruptions. Um, well, that's it. That's all I got. That's all I've got. Next time, check us out. I'm just kidding. We have Instagram. Who knew? Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you always, every single time. I question oh it every time. Gosh. And our Gmail, if you want to hit us up there, is... Who knew podcast six 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 at gmail dot com. Indeed. And we have a Patreon if you're feeling frisky. And then you can check out our link in our Instagram bio to find some merch if you want some merch. And that's that. We'll see you next week. Yes, we will. About something that we haven't chosen yet, so that's okay. That's okay. I kinda <laughs> wanna tell them what we're gonna talk about for the month long. Cool. To kinda get like the We have a whole month to yeah. People stoked. Yeah, get stoked. We're talking about major cases that have changed not just our lives, but like everybody's lives, at least in America. So, so for instance, 
For example, I don't want to give away what we're going to talk about. <laughs> okay, fine. Just think of very major things that, like, have changed everything. <laughs> I love it. I don't know. I'm super excited. We caught, we came up with this on our drive to Boulder to get my... Speaking of Boulder, we got to drive by JonBenet Ramsey's house. It was gigantic. Huge. And it was super cool. It looked super cool. Like, I had, like, a bunch of trees and, like, plants there. Yeah, we didn't stay long because there were some, like, lawn care workers across the street. We didn't look like... Weirdos. We didn't look like weirdos, so... So we drove past, but, like, it looks so nice. Yes. Jealous. But also not really because a little girl died there, so... And we were wondering, and I haven't looked this up yet, like... Do, are the current owners the most recent owners since that happened? John, did, did he sell the house? He had to have. He doesn't live there. He, lives, he doesn't even live in Colorado anymore. Oh. They moved. They never slept in that house again. Oh. After that happened. They moved to what was that state that they were going to anyways? Like Chicago or something. I don't know. Illinois. And uh, Atlanta. Yeah. Georgia that's it. maybe? Probably. That, yes. Atlanta is in Georgia. I know. I know. I know. I was trying to remember um but no they they never stayed in that house again after that after that, that night. so they so just I'm had people move their it. shit out yeah probably of course he's super rich i would do that i wouldn't go back there i would absolutely not go back there does that do you think that kind of just frames guilt no your daughter died there because you killed her okay if you didn't kill her would you want to stay there i don't know okay they had the means to not stay there because they had other true. houses in other states. So I'm assuming they sold it. I just don't know if the p- people they sold it to have sold it since then or if they are the next up ones. So I don't know. I don't know. That's it. Yeah. Super fun. Bye, everybody. Bye, Oliver. He's like, I'm sweeping. <laughs>